0: of time, let's say that in 2009 or 10, when Flipkart was just getting started. MV consumer internet company also was in the much worse space as deep tech is in India today. However, over the next five years, a lot more investment return growth has happened as a consequence, more and more capital followed the path into consumer internet companies in India. In 2011-12, new ventures had been investing into a lot of B2B software companies. We were seen as pioneers in that trend. We invested in a few companies which are still standing the test of time, but did not get a lot of capital support over the next three to four years until a couple of companies became unicorns. And once these become unicorns, everyone suddenly realized that there is a pattern here and more money can be made by investing behind B2B SaaS companies. And today, of course, B2B SaaS companies are darlings of every VC fund in this country, as you know, Prachi. Similarly, as and when more and more companies are able to prove that they can scale in things like industrial automation or biotech or genomics or health tech or med tech, more and more capital is likely to follow as well. So it is only a matter of time.
1: Hi, I'm Pranajit and welcome to Deep Tech Musings Podcast, a show where we get actionable and tactical insights to take your deep tech startup from zero to one. It's a very special episode today and I have a special guest with me, Arpit, who is the investment partner at Bloom Ventures, where he has been leading deep tech investments for a decade now and in many ways, if I can say, is the OG of Indian deep tech. Welcome to the show, Arpit. How are you doing?
0: Thank you, Branajeet. And it is lovely to be on this podcast. To all the listeners, I am very happy and to be connecting with you. I have spent a long time in the deep tech industry in India, engaging and working with maybe Contents of you, and I'm very happy to share what I've learned during these years.
1: Yes, so we are going to look at the growth of Indian Deep Tech in the past decade through your lens. But before that, please let us know a bit about your professional journey and what motivated you towards Deep Tech.
0: So, Pranajit, engineer by background, I graduated 05 from NIT Trichy. I remember even much before that, I am from this hometown, Agra, in UP. Oh, wonderful. In fourth standard, my eldest cousin had joined REC Warangal. Those days it was called REC. And I remember being excited about being an engineer. So I wanted to be an engineer since age nine, for sure. And I did end up in an engineering college of reputation many years back. And I think I wanted to do then, was to go deeper into technology, be a scientist. I was preparing for GRE and all that as so many other people do. But then it obviously had something very different for me. I went towards management career and today I'm a finance professional in the financial services industry. Okay. What is definitely stuck with me is that apart from the first two years of job at ETM Systems, which I am very proud of, it, the love for technology has stayed with me. My intent of going to IIT Bombay to do an MBA also was to be participating in the technology commercialization ecosystem that IIT Bombay was then leading continuously even today, so many years later. And the first week, I went there to meet Sain and people at Sain and Poini of currently a CEO, was very forthcoming and welcoming and, and I got to engage with so many startups. It felt like something great was happening. I could clearly see that technology is the backbone on which the world will be transformed tomorrow there is so much that is happening on these in these institutes and there is a long process therefore after this to be building this technology to the market in uh, about 2 years later we did a science exhibition like event called tech connect to bring iit bombay technology to industry our hypothesis about that if industry sees this probably they will do something about it and they will take it forward we realized that it is far more difficult. So, in about a year and a half later, towards the end of 2010, I started Academic Ventures, which was a commercialization of technology consulting firm. Also, it was very far ahead of its time. It so realized that there is a lot that we need to do in terms of ecosystem before more and more technology sees light of the day. So, But then the thought had remained with me. In the last nine years that I've been with Globe, I have been looking at all kind of technology and being very excited about the prospect that technology can change businesses and consumers and our lives forever has always been exciting and continues to be very, very exciting. for.
1: Awesome. That's great to hear the kind of journey you would have and the focus on the technology side, engineering side, and how you are marrying it with the management aspect to help other startups grow in this field. So let's now look into the Indian deep tech and double-click on that. Can you provide us an overview of the Indian deep tech ecosystem evolution over the past decade? What were some of the key milestone, turning points that have shaped the industry?
0: Pranajit, we should acknowledge on this podcast that India has not been focusing on technology for maybe not more than 30 to 40 years as an outcome or as an engine of growth. As compared to this, just to put in perspective, our UK or US universities have been doing this for maybe 200 years. Oxford and Imperial College have been doing it for that long. And so many universities like Stanford or Harvard in US also have been doing it forever. So, we are relatively young people. There are a couple of very fundamental challenges with this. One, we never had enough money, so to say, uh, many years back. Now we have quite a bit of common as money to spend to invest behind technology, which was forthcoming and futuristic in nature. We all have seen Rocket Boys and what struggle it was yeah. for people to start even an atomic program or space program. And those were the only two you know, signing successes that we have had from India in terms of technology. Much was not being done in any other institute. It was practically only a research, only a teaching institute and not much research came out of it. Even in institutes like IITs and IISC, there was good quality research, but not enough commercializable or close to market research was happening. Of course, there were pockets, like for example, I must mention, UICT I keep hearing about had a very strong industry linkage because of the culture of that institute. Most of the institutes were not in that trajectory. A lot had changed when India opened up its economy in 1990, where we had no choice but to sign up on WTO and WIPO, which said that the patents and the ecosystem had to evolve and we had to allow other countries' patents to also be applicable in India. And there was then a need for us to start investing behind technology. I must admit, for people who are policymakers then, It must have been a giant leap of faith that, you know, something like this will happen to India. However, about 30 years later, I'm happy to report that there is a lot that has moved, a lot still needs to be done, but cultures are changing. These things take generations, right? What also happened is that sometime towards the mid of that decade, 1995 or something, government created this very ambitious program called NSTEDB, which is, National Science and Technology Entrepreneurship Development Board to fund incubators, though one knew what incubators meant back then, across research institutes like IITs and IISCs. And first of all, the TBIs got set up with the help and sign was one of them. There's also IIT Madras, there's also IIM Mangalore and IIM Ahmedabad and IIT Kanpur, I think. All of these were the first to set up. A lot of work was happening inside these institutes and small centers of excellence. And... One thing that they became very, very good at over the time is that they were able to take technology from inside their labs and build startups around it. So a few startups started coming out. Some of the startups have now become very large. There's a company called IdeaForge, which is about to go IPO. There's a company called Sedimac, which has also become very large. There is Unifor from IIT Madras. There's also Ather Energy from IIT Madras. These companies have become very large. There's SMS Cup Shop, which has become a unicorn from IIT Bombay. So a few of these successes have now emerged in that era. Most of these companies honestly were started only last 10-15 years, but uh, it is becoming very interesting. What has also happened in parallel is that two particular areas were earmarked as a focus for India. One is biotechnology and Department of Biotechnology in India and this organization called BIRAC has done some path-breaking work in supporting very early stage innovations in biotechnology. And as a consequence of, you know, any new idea in biotech definitely gets support. Of course, it has to prove its metal, but it gets support more often than not, uh, which is a great thing. There is also an area on uh, things like electronics and technology. So maybe uh, as part of uh, sometimes as part of the NITI program or not, uh, has also supported quite a bit of innovation across these uh, TBIs. And sooner or later, all the other institutes got together, all the other Departments of central and state government got together and they have been supporting the very early stage technology development, very early stage technology commercialization. Typically, venture capitalists are not used to taking this risk. What has also happened is that the startup ecosystem in the last 15 odd years have become very, very mature. And therefore, it was seeming like that this is an opportunity for government to solve our country's problems. One of the things which I am very happy to see is how this program called IDEX, which is a defense program, is able to engage with very large number of companies in India across various segments, is able to invest behind technology, is able to support that technology progression and adoption inside defense. And then there's a program called InSpace, which is a more recent program, which is doing the same thing for space companies. I'm sure this potential is very large and I'm happy to see the government is supporting this. This is all Largely, as you can see, coming from the government of India side, mm-hmm. some state governments also have supported, of course, uh, but it has not been coming largely from the private sector in India. Some private sector labs, of course, have done a very good job, whether it is a biotech area or it is in chemicals or it is in semiconductors, and a lot of good work also capability were developed in the ODCs, which were you know the. India arm um, of, let's say, a Texas Instruments or Intel or Microsoft Research in India because the talent was always available and they wanted to reuse this talent for their purposes. Strictly speaking, these companies' capability does get developed but these companies are not going to be using it only for India's objective and that is fine. So, over these years, I have seen that a lot has happened and I am very hopeful and completely confident that a lot will happen. The key challenge that we are facing today as a country is that the attitudes and behaviors take long time to change. They are changing and more and more of deep tech companies will see light of the day. However, as all of you listeners are uh, probably fully aware, not enough is happening and I would like to cover that also at some point. But yeah, more can happen and we would love to be participating in that journey.
1: That's a fascinating and great encapsulation of the past few decades of Indian tech in 10 minutes. I don't think uh, anyone could have done better than that. But let's unpack these aspects a bit now. And I want to start off with the challenges that you mentioned facing the deep tech. Uh, Funding is definitely one of them and we'll speak a bit more about it later on. Uh, what were some of the other challenges? You mentioned, I think, about uh, skilled talent, like the university is the talents for many generations outside, but in India, you are not. How is that skilled talent for required for deep tech, that scenario shaping up? And also, what about the market acceptance and adoption in the industry?
0: There is two different pieces, Pranajit. I know you're fully aware of it. I'm just reiterating There is one thing which is to commercialize the technology or the effort that it takes or the risk that it entails to be able to commercialize it. There is a need for entrepreneurial talent, one thing. And second is the need for people who will support in commercialization or the process of commercialization. The key attitude that most Indian institutes still suffer is the fact that they don't think commercialization of technology or once their curiosities are satisfied. They don't think it is their job to commercialize this technology or take it to the market. Let us say someone was inventing a new kind of solar cell and this obviously requires some material science and engineering and uh, after three or four years of work, a professor and a couple of PhD students were able to invent something new which worked beautifully in the lab but uh, is far from the commercial scale adoption that it will require. Now, this particular innovation will also require a lot more put unquote put product development around it to be able to get adopted by the industry and it is not a trivial process, it is not a straightforward process, a lot of thought has to go inside it, a lot of problems will come when you are scaling up a technology. It may or may not be very intellectually stimulating for the two PhD students and the professor to work on. Now, There are two choices they have. One, they can move one to another project that satisfies their curiosity or precades their interest. Or they can take this and decide to invest another five years to be able to take it to the industry. This particular decision point is a decision point a lot of people are facing on a daily basis. However, the ecosystem and environment is not really in a place that more people will choose to actually start up as compared to people who do have start. The environment, there is a culture challenge, there is an incentive challenge, there is also hero and story challenge and then narrative that people have built around themselves challenge. Like for example not many professors have seen a lot of money being made in pursuing a startup idea and hence obviously other people are not joining. Let us say if we had 100 professors made a few crore rupees out of their startups, a lot more people would be interested. I don't think that is true today. So, there is an incentive problem there is also an inspiration problem and there is also a culture problem where we are very happy to publish or even patent, but we are definitely not orienting ourselves towards commercialization. So this is the first part of the puzzle. This is not a training gap. It is not a skill gap. It is not something about capability. It is just orientation and alignment of interest. In the US universities or UK, a lot more people have seen successes, ecosystem. therefore, is lot more mature, and hence a lot more people are coming in from top of the panel and building large companies at the bottom of the panel. Uh, That is a positive virtuous cycle that has started to take off, has already been existing in US University, let's say in Boston or in London, but it does not exist today in most places in India. However, it is beginning, or we are seeing early signs, and this is a problem that will get solved over a period of time. Everyone is trying to do their best in changing this culture piece. The second piece is, how do you incentivize people to work on this technology? A lot of, for example, IIT graduates, and there was a recent article which said, 50-60% of IIT graduates go abroad. It is probably because they did not find some of these very exciting problems to solve all. One, or again, they were not being incentivized to be able to solve these problems in a deep manner. They were not in the right networks they therefore did, did not join those companies in sign or IIT Madras, or they were not ready to take the risk in their career at that point of time. Or simply speaking, they probably had a far more cushy offer from a bank as compared to working in a deep tech company. And not many people are able to take that leap of faith, which is a different problem altogether. I think we have a lot of talent and we have a lot of good work that is happening inside Indian startups, whether they are... Uh, part of the institute or not but talent is still a challenge but talent in my mind is less of a challenge as compared to people who can create great companies and therefore inspire a lot of talent to join them
1: Yeah, I really connect with your thought on having heroes to look up to and part of it also comes from I think having a risk taking mentality and accepting failure and I think it relates to the point on culture that you mentioned that uh, culturally India does not promote risk-taking and or accept failures, which is, I think, a key ingredient to succeed in this deep tech. Would you agree?
0: It does sound like that. Hmm. However, I do not agree exactly, what really is happening is that as and when people see the outcomes of those, of taking risks, they will be inspired to take those risks. Yeah. See, there is failure in every kind of start is not just deep tech stuff. Let us say you're doing an e-commerce company or a particular kind of building a new brand. There is failure in that also. And the rate of failure is not very different as compared to others. The only challenge is, but then there's still so many good people still starting up. The risk is not very different. In a deep tech company, the only challenge is that the risk could be different for a person who has an academic bent of mind and therefore will require a lot more inspiration as compared to an average product manager from a startup, that is the key gap. So yes, it, to some extent there is a lack of failure and lack of acceptance of failure inside the institutes as a challenge. It is not so much more than any other side.
1: Got it. And with uh, more and more uh, startups gaining uh, wide screen uh, visibility, I think that risk-taking and other aspects are also getting in bite in the current generation and the ones to follow. So, we also uh, wanted to discuss regarding market acceptance of deep tech solutions. How do you think that uh, has evolved uh, over the years?
0: We are in a very interesting country, Hmm. I was explaining this to a few other people before last in a talk. Okay. Where the key point to understand about India is that we are a economics or maths obsessed country. Okay, yes. If you explain the math to an average, you know, let us say, a typical and illiterate rickshaw puller, that person will get the math very, very clearly in no time. Even if they don't understand, they've never written down those numbers, but they will understand it intuitively. And of course, the large industrialists also understand the math and economics very well. So the key point to understand about India is that across the entire economy, Consumers or businesses, if we are able to prove that a certain technology improves their chance of making more profit or reducing their cost or increasing their revenue, they will lap it up in no time. Of course, one technology has to be a lot more mature, people will have to be a lot more comfortable with the idea of adopting that piece of technology. But once it becomes mature enough that it starts impacting their top line and bottom lines, uh, adoption will not be a challenge. The challenge that most of our companies face are twofold. One, people who are starting up themselves are engineers and scientists. They may or may not have a full understanding of what the consumer is looking at or the business is looking at adopting a technology and what's the impact of it. And two, in many cases, the technology itself may or may not be very mature. If it is not very mature, it is it feels like a lot of risk. Just for argument's sake. There is a company in our portfolio called Ati Motors, which is making autonomous mobile robots and the robot moves trolleys inside the factory. Now, when the robot is moving inside the factory, one has to be a lot more confident that it will not actually come in the way of making operations or will not hit someone unduly and leading to some kind of an accident. Now, that takes some time. The technology has to become a lot more mature for people to feel comfortable around that piece. The economics have always been very good. Now, once you are able to prove that, you know, this thing really, really works, there is no risk on it, people have been able to adopt it much, much faster. We are actually quite surprised by the kind of traction this company get is getting from Indian auto industry. Auto industry is just a standard I'm sure you'll get from other industries also. But that is the point I'm making. Once you're able to prove that technology is matured and it is able to move the needle economics, it works. However, the catch, it has taken them six years to get here. Yeah. Most companies will not survive that long.
1: Got it. Makes sense. So let's now discuss about uh, the government initiatives. You briefly mentioned a few of them. So how has the government initiatives been in promotion of deep tech startups? There are a few like BIRAC that you mentioned. Then uh, there was also this National Strategy for Artificial Intelligence back in 2018. Yeah. We had the Indian National yeah. Space Promotion and Authorization Center. Yes. Which promotes space technology startups, satellite manufacturing and others. We have the National Action Plan on Climate Change, which outlines strategies to address climate change and promote sustainable development. So how have these uh, impacted the deep tech space or do you think there is more left to be
0: done? See, as I began to say, and I mentioned earlier also, a lot of what we see on the ground in India, whether that's an emergence of a very large IT industry or emergence of big tech companies or, uh, you know, multi companies setting up their onshore development centers in India, ODCs, a lot has to do with policy and government intervention and some smart ideas which were understood, discussed and implemented by people who otherwise don't get much respect from our average populace, which are bureaucrats. There is a lot of good policy making that has gone behind creation of this. Yep. And the program that you just mentioned are one of the few. There were, of course many, many more programs that have gone behind making this work. So government has played a very important role. Government will have to continue playing a very important role because private capital is not a good fit to play this role. Therefore, it has to be government or development finance role in this matter to be able to create this infrastructure. Private capital will come Uh, But only after companies have become a little more mature ecosystem in one machine.
1: Got it. And I think that follows from other ecosystems as well elsewhere in the world where we have seen this uh, trend. Everywhere. Yeah.
0: There was always a tarpa behind an internet or whatever else. There is always a NIH behind all the biotech innovation that happened. Uh, You cannot ignore it. It is, uh, this has been, they have been doing it for maybe 100 years. Uh, and as a consequence, they are very, they're formidable and they are able to show great results. We have only just gotten started.
1: Yep. Agreed. Another key stakeholder, I think, which uh, some many times is get under, are the academic institutions and research centers. Now, there are quite a lot of them, as you mentioned. And so, how have they played a role in, particularly in terms of like the industry and academia partnership? Do you see that flourishing? Uh, there are few like initiatives, like many other institutes have taken. Do you think it's like acting out properly, or there is something uh,
0: missing there? See, all of the institutes, many of the institutes are very very good. They are doing a great amount of work. They are also engaging deeply with industry as much as they can. At least the top about fifty institutes in India, in all kind of different sectors, whether it is medicine or it is engineering. Has a good amount of industry engagement and more will obviously happen. Yeah. However, one can also question whether they are doing enough. And while one is questioning whether they are doing enough, one also has to take cognizance of the fact that they are doing the best within their resources and their priorities. So who's setting their priorities is again ultimately covered by India in most cases. Yeah. There is that nudge and and move. I've told that on the drought. Most older institutes, engineering institutes particularly, are being told to generate a lot more revenue from consulting as compared to depending completely on government grants, which is a great thing. But the culture and the processes and the kind of incentives each person inside the institute has is going to take a long period of time to change. They also possibly require support in making that change happen. But the winds of change have begun to blow in every single institute in India.
1: Yeah, and here like a lot of uh, great partnerships, like corporates like Marks, Life Sciences, Qualcomm, Accenture, Microsoft partnering with all the top premier institutes and I, many other I'm sure. So definitely things bode well for the future. Now uh, we discuss about the funding landscape for deep tech startups and you mentioned that as a challenge over the years. So. Has there been any noteworthy trends or shifts in investor interest and funding availability for deep tech?
0: So now let's talk about private capital. And why I must make a comment here on the private capital piece, Uh Private capital or rather all capital is a coward. Okay. It always follows the path of least resistance.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: So what does that mean? That means that capital is only going to follow a trend that has already been established agreed the capital that creates a trend typically does not exist in private hands therefore the private capital including the capital that we manage is unlikely to be able to set a trend in some cases we have been gutsy uh, and taking those bets for example companies like carbon cleaning grey orange part of our portfolio are top class deep tech companies coming out of India however which will happen only as an exception or mostly as an exception than a rule now Suppose, uh, and also, let me also take a step back and talk about how venture capital functions. Venture capital is followed similarly. There was a point of time, let's say that in 2009 or 10, when Flipkart was just getting started, every consumer internet company also was in the much worse space as deep tech is in India today. However, over the next five years, a lot more investment return growth has happened. As a consequence, more and more capital followed the path into consumer internet companies in India. In 2011-12, Bloom Ventures had been investing into a lot of B2B software companies. We were seen as pioneers in that trend. We invested in a few companies which are still standing the test of time, but did not get a lot of capital support over the next three to four years until a couple of companies became unicorns. And once these become unicorns, everyone suddenly realized that there is a pattern here. And more money can be made by investing behind B2B SaaS companies. And today, of course, B2B SaaS companies are darlings of every VC fund in this country, as you know, Rajiv. Yeah. This is it the pattern that deep tech or climate tech is also likely to follow in the time to come. When we were investing in Yulu in 2016 and in Euler in 2018, there was no visibility of capital in these companies or this sector. But we are happy to record that in year 22, many of our companies have managed to raise around significant amount of money from outside in the market because more and more capital sources have been unlocked thanks to the fast emergence of the electric vehicle ecosystem. Similarly, as and when more and more companies are able to prove that they can scale in things like industrial automation or biotech or genomics or health tech or med tech, more and more capital is likely to follow as well. So, it is only a matter of time.
1: Got it. So, do you see any distinctions in these uh, private investment venture capitalists between the stage of these startups? As you mentioned, so Bloom has been front-running in some early stage investments. Uh, do you see that across others as well? Or it's more that these are more attuned for some government back investments in the early stage?
0: So, development finance and government finance has to come in early. So, obviously, uh, that cannot be ignored a lot more philanthropic money is now coming into these companies as well which is a good thing to see Yeah, and then early stage venture funds like us are taking a deep look at many companies so yeah it is a logical step forward uh, there is still an ossity of capital in the series B, series C areas but I think that is also a matter of time when more and more capital will flow in I am confident that we have such good capability and people who are starting up very solid companies that more and more capital will flow into the sector There is no doubt.
1: Got it. Great. So let's uh, take an interesting segue here and get a bit future looking. So looking ahead, uh, what do you envision the future of Indian deep tech startups? What would be some key opportunities or challenges?
0: See, if you are a deep tech entrepreneur and you have decided to start up something over the last two, three, four years and you have been struggling both with technology and with market validation and with capital, my heart is with you your life is going to be very hard it is already pretty hard and there is probably no easy answer no silver bullet inside so yeah without offering a silver bullet i must offer two pieces of advice one if you're an entrepreneur who has started up in deep tech this is the only thing that you know to do or you want to do at this point of time please continue following with the utmost rigor that you can and try making sure that customers are close to you. And one most important thing is to survive long enough that great things can happen to you. That's one piece. And second, please continue being in touch with customers as closely to the customers as possible. Start speaking their language as fast as you can. Only when that happens, you will start seeing a lot more adoption in the market. These things of course apply to everything else in the industry, but particularly useful for tech companies. (laughs)
1: And I think the second piece is very important for deep tech because often deep tech founders are so engulfed with the technology and the other aspects around it that this talking to customers, validating ideas, problems takes a backstage. But that's what may make or break a deep tech. Uh, in fact, any startup.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Can't overemphasize on speaking with customers and being in touch with them.
1: Schult. So, in terms of technologies, what are some particular technologies that show significant potential for future growth? What are some technologies that Bloom is focused on for future growth?
0: See, we have done a deep enough job. I'm sure listeners have seen our EVprimer.in yeah. primer on electric vehicles, which is a 187 slide yeah. deck that we published, published you know, a couple of weeks back. It is seen regarding as a seminal document. So we have gone quite deep into electric vehicles. We are hoping to replicate that in multiple areas of climate tech. We have recently published our thesis around circular economy. We are working on areas related to green hydrogen and so on, and a bunch of areas around battery. So more and more work is happening for us. You know, climate tech and uh, you know building technology and startups which can solve the climate problem is once in a lifetime kind of opportunity, and we are very excited about that. So whatever that takes, we will be around to listen to you and hear your ideas and see what we can do best with them. That is a very strong passion area at this point of time, Pranajit. There's also healthcare. We have been engaging deeply with the ecosystem and happy to take a look at more and more medtech innovation. Although I must admit that medtech has been very hard to invest for a variety of reasons. We can talk about that at some later point of time.
1: Got it. And I'm going to put the links to the TV Primer deck in the show notes so those who have not checked it out do look into it. Definitely very insightful. And so what are some of the portfolio startups that Bloom has invested in? Can you just share a brief about them?
0: So uh, over the last about 12 years, we have invested in about 20 odd companies in the broader climate tech area. Many of these companies Were earlier called Deep Tech And now called Climate Tech So we have had a very good history Of doing this investment Starting from Carbon Clean To Gray Orange okay. To Zenetics To UU To Euler And there are company called Covax's, Ati Motors Ethereum machines We have been investing Into a very large range Of tech companies We continue to be Very excited about these companies Got it We can talk about specific areas If you like probably, But uh, broadly Very excited about Deep Tech Forever. Yeah, I think at a high
1: level, I'd definitely like to understand why is Bloom say one of the best place for deep tech startups, what value it imparts to these startups that ensures their
0: success. So the number one thing that we stand out is that we don't wait for the market to validate anything. We have been able to build our own convictions, whether that is deep tech or not, or whether it is B2B software as was mentioning, or that is something else. We are able to make our own decisions and we don't want to wait for the market. That's one thing that stands out. Therefore, if you're a deep tech company, we are not going to ask the question, why is no one else doing it? If we like it enough, we will pull the trigger. That's one thing. Second, as investors, we also are unique in our ability to give you a whole platform of services, whether that is about business strategy or market access or corporate relationships or fundraising. Or uh, finance, legal, and hiring. All of these are available in Bloom as a platform. These are the things that Bloom has been doing, probably the best firm in this country, doing it for about 12 years, consistently over and over again. Very proud of what we have managed to do. The third thing that we do, not just for deep tech companies, but for everyone else also, is a very deep amount of founder to founder learning that we have been engineering for many years now. So when the company comes to us and uh, we are investors, we are people who look at it on a long-term basis. We are people who have typically been a lot more patient than everyone else in the market. There are some companies which have not been able to, you know, get series A funding for about five years. And we have continued to be very excited about them till they are able to turn around that corner. So that's something that is hallmark of being Okay. Yeah, I don't know what else would be exciting. But yes, as a firm, I think once we are in, we are in with our both legs and both arms and full head also. Yeah. So we're in. We are all in into companies.
1: I think the role of an investor in a deep tech startup is very tantamount because deep tech is hard, and you just don't need the market connect or network. You need an investor who trusts you and is there for the long haul. And we did not iterate how Bloom has done this over and over again with uh, so many deep tech startups. So lastly, I want to uh, touch upon a very recent topic, which is, I think, a startup community also. So Sam Altman, the founder of OpenAI, responded negatively to a question by Rajan then about India's ability to build a startup like OpenAI. How do you correlate to that and what needs to be done to have such successful deep tech startups like OpenAI from India?
0: See, uh- I would agree with Sam Altman, although it didn't come across or reported in media in the right manner mm-hmm. that if someone were to build an open AI, that person is not about capability of people. We have very, very capable people, but it will require a lot more resources and such resources are very difficult to put together in India. Mm. You know, it is very similar to saying, can I put together a semiconductor plant in India? Of course I can, but that requires a very much higher amount of resources to be put together. Same applies to our cell manufacturing companies and so on. So yes, if you want to build an open AI, it is also a function of the ecosystem the open AI is connected to where capital was available, resources were available and then something good came out of that. We are capable, I have no doubt about it. However, it is definitely not going to be easy to do this with the limited resources even though we are very, very inventive and capable people.
1: Got it. Makes sense so arpit uh, thanks a lot for taking out time today can you just share uh, where can listeners found you online and uh, how can they be useful to Gloom?
0: right so thank you for featuring me Pranajit. i am available on twitter and linkedin those are the two things i am most frequent in okay. twitter i am ARBIIT, linkedin i am arpit 105 please look me up and add me or send me messages very happy to look at that What you can do is please come and participate in some of our uh, upcoming initiatives. We are working very deeply with the climatic ecosystem. We are working with the EV ecosystem. So come and participate in some of our mixer that we are going to organize over the next six months. We would love to have you with us. And if there are any feedback or anything that you're looking to reach out to me or pitch to me, I am at at arpit.bloom.pc, plume.pc.
1: Great. I'm going to put each uh, one of those links in the show notes and uh, definitely the listeners will find that helpful. Thank you. So it's been fascinating, Arpit, listening to you. Super interesting stories, uh, really deep dive into the Indian deep tech and feels very hopeful with ecosystem enablers like Gloom in this and uh, definitely we will have a much brighter Indian deep tech ecosystem going into the
0: future. So cool to be on this. Thank you. <laughs>